Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me, if you wouldn't mind, to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation in chapter number 12, the Old Testament book of Revelation and chapter number 12. We are continuing with our series dealing with the Millennial Kingdom. And in this series already, we started off by explaining our terms and explaining the timeline of prophecy, trying to understand how to properly get the correct interpretation of prophecy, explaining our terms and explaining the ideas of this principle of the millennial. Then we started doing a timeline of the millennial, understanding that the next thing on God's calendar is the rapture. And that's the next thing of the calling away. After that, we see there was the tribulation. And now we're getting to the end of the tribulation and seeing what happens in that time frame. And there's a lot of moving pieces. And we'll speak about the, these moving pieces at the end of the tribulation this morning, tonight, and Wednesday night as we start moving towards the millennial kingdom. Now, this morning's message is going to be a foundational message, not only for dealing with the millennial kingdom, but understanding the spiritual warfare that we find ourselves engaged in even today. And we want to study what the Bible has to say about a specific person that we know that one of the effective ways of studying the Bible is studying the Bible through its characters. In a character study, you examine what the Bible has to say about a person's life, take their life into context, and understanding that every life teaches a message. Well, here we're going to do a character study of a very powerful entity who is often called Satan. And we're going to do a character study on that old serpent called the devil. Notice with me in the book of Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, and notice with me in verse number 1. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars in heaven and did cast them to the ground. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, to be devour her as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled in the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God and they that feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought with his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out that old serpent, which is 
called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. And he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that inhabit in them. Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man child. And the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she may fly in the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman and the earth swallowed her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed and to keep the commandments of God, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find here in the book of Revelation chapter 12? Revelation chapter 12, and notice with me if you don't mind in verse number 9 the phrase Revelation 12:9, <laughs> that old serpent called the devil. That old serpent, the serpent called the devil. And with this we want to do a character study on old Satan himself. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, we're just asking that you would give us grace and understanding. Help us to be able to discern and be able to learn from this character study that we could apply these things properly, that we could have a proper view of Satan and a proper view of you, a proper view of the world that we have and what we're going to face. Lord, even now I'm very conscious that I need you. Please, Lord, fill me with your presence, fill me with your spirit, that you would guide and direct this for yourself. And Lord, thank you for being a wonderful God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we hit this passage and start doing a character study on Satan, this is going to be very important because most people have an incorrect view of who Satan is. A lot of people, because they have this incorrect view, will often attribute more power and more uh, uh, credit to Satan than what he deserves. Because of this, pe- people have a misunderstanding of the spiritual war that they have going between the two. And so if you don't mind, we're going to take what the Bible says and we're going to turn to several passages to get a proper understanding and a context of Satan's future, of our current spiritual warfare, 
and the victory that we could have in the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing that we want to do as we take this passage is we want to identify the people within this passage to make sure that we have a correct understanding, to, correct, to have the context in here. Let's study the identification of the people. Now remember that we take the Bible literally as much as we can, even in the figurative language. We know that the Bible puts a lot of figurative language because the Bible knows that we use pictures. For example, if I was to say that I'm as happy as a lark, I literally mean that I am happy. I'm using figurative languages to try to get some imagery across to to explain a clear truth. And so in here, there are going to be literal people that are going to be mentioned, and they're going to be used in a figurative type of way to try to get an understanding of this event that's occurring. So let's see if we could identify these people. Now, in verse number nine, we get a clear identification without a doubt of who this dragon is. Notice with me in verse nine. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world and was cast into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So in this passage, God clearly makes the identification of who the enemy is. This dragon is identified as Satan. By the way, notice that it is also synonymous with the word serpent. This is its own study somewhere else. But a lot of times people, because of the mis teaching of the Bible have identified this serpent as some snake. However, the Bible clearly identifies Satan not as a snake, but as a dragon, a fire-breathing dragon, something that was known of old legends of wisdom, of power, of might, something that would cause most people to tremble inside of his sight. And that would be flowing more into to Satan's character of pride and arrogance of a fire-breathing dragon than would be some snake that is slithering in the tree. Notice if you don't mind, not only do we have the identification of Satan, but let's also identify the child. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number five. As we see this child being delivered, verse four and verse five, we have the identification. And she, this woman, brought forth a man child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up into God and to his throne. So now we have identification of, of this. This child was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. This is going to happen in the millennial kingdom that Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign. So now we have the identification. And that currently we have his location that he was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. We know where Jesus is currently right now is that he is up in heaven. That he came on earth, robed in flesh, lived the same life that you and I lived, went through the same temptations, the same troubles, and the same heartbreaks. Then Jesus Christ died on the cross, <laughs> was buried, and on the third day he rose again. And then after 40 days of being with his disciples, he ascended up to heaven, and that's where he's remaining until he comes back down to rule and reign on this earth. So we have Satan identified, we have the child identified, but there's one more person in here to get the correct context. What is the identification of the mother? Notice with me in verses one and two. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet 
and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. Now this is a poetical way of uh, giving an identification of the nation of Israel. We know the nation of Israel is a nation of people. And so in order to get a visible uh, thing, they have now pictured her as a mother. The, the identification of the 12 points on her crown are the 12 tribes of Israel. We know that Jesus was born of a Jew, born of the Hebrew people because of the promises God made to the Hebrew people. So again, we have this figurative pictorial identification of Israel as a nation. So Israel as a nation gave birth to Christ. Satan tried to do everything he could to destroy the child. Uh, now we have the context. Let's just see this really quick. Verse 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold the great red dragon having seven heads and ten hordes, seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. Now this is a pictorial language explaining that he took one third of the angels with him to follow after him. And did cast them into earth and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. By the way, that's historical. That as soon as Jesus was born, Satan was there to try to use Herod the Great to kill the child. To immediately do everything he could to stop Jesus. And he tried to stop him when Jesus was the most vulnerable. Now think about this. We know that we're talking about a spiritual war and that God is up in heaven. You have Satan that's been trying to overthrow God for all these times. And if Satan could figure out that God was going to be robed in flesh and he was going to be born of a baby, when are you the most vulnerable? Was a baby. So Satan, because he thinks he could win the war, when Christ was born, there was a lot of demonic activity. We saw that all throughout the gospel records, this increase of demonic activity. And we saw that Satan did everything he could to try to kill Jesus when he was a baby and a child, when he was the most vulnerable. But God still knew how to get the victory even then. But Satan has been at war with God and he wants to get rid of God and he wants to get rid of Jesus who he knew personally. So in this passage here, we're having this literal account using pictorial language to try to get across what is going to happen. We'll come back to the context of this in just a second. And so we started with the identification of the people. Now let's get more context. In order to get context, there are some things that we have to understand about Satan. Hold your finger here because we're turning here. But let's kind of see what the Bible has to say about Satan to start off with. The book of Ezekiel. In the Old Testament, the book of Ezekiel, and we're going to be turning to several passages because we want to study Satan's life as a whole. In the book of Ezekiel chapter 28, we have the beginnings of Satan. Where did he come from? What, what was his problem? What happened to him? We want to try to get a good understanding of this spiritual force, this spiritual battle, and understand how to get the victory. And in order to do that, we have to know the enemy and understand the enemy. Notice with me in the book of Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. Notice with me, if you look with me, Ezekiel 28. And let's get a good start. Verse number 11. Ezekiel 28 and verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, Take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealeth up the sum, full of wisdom, and perfect 
in beauty. So here we have the beginnings of this, that God is sending Ezekiel to make a decree against the king of Tyre. Now, as he begins to speak about the king of Tyre, who is a literal historical figure in in Ezekiel's day, that God is going to use the backdrop of the king of Tyre and bring it to give us an understanding of who Satan is. Notice with me Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse number 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardis, topaz, and the diamond, the burial, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of the pipes were prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so... Thou was upon the holy mount of God, and thou was walked up and down in the midst of the stones with fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou were created till iniquity was found in thee. So notice this. We have a lot of information given to us about Satan in this passage. Notice, let's make a couple observations. That first of all, Satan was created. Satan was created created. We see that at the end of verse 13, that thou was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Verse number 15, it says thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. So the first thing that we find about Satan is that he is a created being. So if he was created, then he needed a creator. Who was the creator? God. Now what we learn about this immediately is that the creation is not equal to or greater than the creator. The created is automatically subject and underneath and lesser than the creator. Now why is this important? Because today people have in mind because of television and influence and philosophy that there is a constant battle between good and evil. And people have the idea like philosophies of the yin and the yang is that good and evil have to be in balance. You hear that from TVs, movies, whatnot, and that good and evil are always at balance and that they're at war with each other and that one can't get advantage of each other. And that philosophy gives us uh, Eastern philosophies like karma. Karma is not a biblical idea. It carries the idea that things have to always be in balance and that Satan is just as powerful as God and his forces are equal to uh, God in power. That is not true at all. God is God and all of God's creation are, is under him. Now, Satan is powerful. We're not throwing that away, but he is not as powerful as God. In fact, we find out through the Bible that even Satan still has to obey God. That they are not equal. They are not the same. That Satan was a created being. Well, then what happened to Satan? We notice something else. Satan was created perfect. Satan was created perfect. Verse 15. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created. So not only was he created, he was created perfect. What does that mean? That Satan was created not being sinful. He was not. He was created to be a servant of God. In fact, notice what 
he is called in verse 14, thou art an anointed cherub. A cherub is a type of angel. Satan is a created being. He is an angel. In fact, what was his job? We believe from the study of scripture that he was equivalent to being heaven's choir director. He was created to be the one who directed all the praise and all the glory from God's creation and to direct it to God. So if Satan, by the way, was God's choir director, do you think Satan knows a little bit about music? And do you think he knows what music is pleasing to God? And does he know how to corrupt that music so that way it's no longer pleasing to God? Absolutely. And does Satan hate God enough to try to do that? Absolutely. And so Satan was created as to be the choir director. His job was to get the praise. But that's where the problem started going to. Is that if you're in the front of the crowd with a position. And your job is to direct people to get them to do what they're supposed to. Then after a while you start to think that you are the one that's more important. Than the one that's supposed to be worshipped. And that's where Satan started to get some of the pride. In fact, notice what was the sources of his pride. (laughs) It's said that (laughs) in this passage and another passage that there was three elements to Satan's pride. First of all, of his beauty. Did you know that Satan was created to be beautiful? Notice if we don't mind in verse number 13. Thou was been in Eden, the garden of God, every precious stone was thy covering. Sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the burial, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. Notice this. He was created with all these precious metals. They didn't have to be discovered. He was created from these precious metals. He was created as a beautiful thing. So he had wealth and beauty. Notice something else at the end of verse 13 where we're reading. Thy tabrets and thy pipes were prepared in thee in the day that they were created. Do you know that Satan was actually created? He was a musical instrument in himself. He was music. Part of it. He was created to be musical. Once again, ties in, does Satan know about music? And he doesn't know what's pleasing to God. And he knows how to corrupt it. Satan knows all about music. Because he was created as a musical instrument. He was prideful because of his beauty. He was prideful because of his wealth. If he's made out of precious stones, does he know something about wealth? And he was prideful about his intellect. By the way, those are the three things that we suffer with. If someone is beautiful or handsome, don't they have a lot of pride in their beauty and their looks? If somebody is really smart, do they have a lot of pride in their smart? in their intelligence. And if somebody has a lot of money, a lot of wealth, does that wealth cause a lot of pride? And so here Satan had all three of them. He had beauty. He had wealth. He had (coughs) knowledge. He had talent. He had all these things. And so being all of these things, having wealth, beauty, (coughs) uh, intellect, he was made a musical instrument. His job was a very important job to direct all the praises of creation to God. He got to the place where he said, why aren't the people just worshiping me? Well, just forget about God. I'm the great one here. I'm the amazing one. Everyone just start looking at me. And the pride started to get involved. So notice we've learned a couple things about Satan already. He was created. He was created not to be 
not with sin. He was created perfect. We understand that he had a lot of pride because of his position and because of what he had. Notice something else. We see a time frame of Satan. Notice with me in verse 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Verse 15, thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created. So notice, Satan was in the garden of Eden and he was perfect while he was in Eden. So now we have the time frame. When was Satan created? We know that God made the world in six literal days, six 24-hour periods. And that if we are to identify when Satan was to be created, that would be day four. And for those students of the Bible, when was Adam created? Day six. That means Satan's only two days older than Adam. That's it. God had created Satan at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. He, he created Adam, created the garden, had Adam there. Satan was perfect and his job was to direct traffic. We don't know when Satan fell, but it could be up all the way up to a hundred years into creation. A hundred years where Satan was perfect, where Adam was living in bliss with his wife in the perfect garden of Eden, living in a time where everyone was worshiping God. But after a time frame, could have been a hundred years, Satan started to build up more and more pride and began to get to the place. Everyone should acknowledge me until finally he rebelled against God. He wanted to be God and the job was not available. With that, turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Let's learn some more about this fall of Satan. Isaiah chapter 14. Now again, we're just doing a character study on Satan so we can understand our enemy and realize who he is. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 12. Isaiah chapter 14 and in verse number 12. Isaiah 14 and verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Lucifer is his proper name. The son of the morning. How art thou cut down to the ground which thou weakest the nations? Now notice this. We see Satan's pride in the next couple of verses. Notice the I wills that Satan has said to himself when he wanted to overthrow God. Verse 13. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the trans congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. Satan got to the place where he says, listen, why does God get all the praise? I should get the glory. I want this. I will do this. I will be God. I'll take over God. Everyone will worship me. Five I wills there. The I wills of Satan. All this pride got involved and he tried to overthrow God and God said, nope, you can't be God. And he kicked him out. Notice with me in verse 15. And thou shall be brought down into hell, into the sides of the pit. Now, what we learn about this is where Satan is headed. He is headed to hell. You know what that means? He is not in hell now. When Satan fell from heaven, he became the prince and the powers of the air on this earth. Satan's domain is here on this earth. He's... He's in charge of a lot of things. We could just look at governments and the dominions and all this answers to Satan. He is our great enemy. Satan does not own hell and he has never been in hell. 
That's where he's going to be punished forever and ever and ever. God created hell to punish Satan and his demons. So hell is not where Satan is going to rule. It is where he is going to be sentenced for eternity. Notice the next verse. Um, Verse number 16. They that shall see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider saying, is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake the kingdoms and that made the world a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof and opened not the house of his prisoners? This is it. And we're going to see that here in just a little bit in Revelation 20. But at the very end of the tribulation period, God is going to haul Satan down and trap him for a thousand years. Then after that, he's going to eternity, a future in an awful place called the lake of fire. And during those times when we're watching, imagine in your mind, a, a, a Satan bound in chains, dragged to the holding chamber where he's going to be locked upon. And you know what we're going to say? This is it. This is the guy who has caused all the problems. This is the guy that we were all scared of. I thought he'd be taller. This is it. And why can we say that? Because next to God, everything's small. When you're looking at Satan and you're looking at your problems and they're right there, they look really big. But look beyond the circumstances to see the God of the circumstances and see everything is so small compared to God. This is it. That's the problem? That's the guy we were scared of? That's it? There goes all that pride if people are getting to the end of his life and saying, this is it? This is all? Satan wanted to be God. That he does not want everyone to say, that's it? This is the guy? Satan is small compared to God. Now with that in mind, go back to Revelation chapter 12 and let's pick up some more of this context about Satan and then we're going to see what happens to him. Notice if you don't mind Revelation 12. (laughs) Let's kind of walk through this passage really quick and then we'll talk more about what Satan's currently doing and where he is going. Notice with me Revelation 12. Notice with me in verse 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and seven horns and seven crowns upon his feet. Here we see that Satan has always had a spiritual war with God. Satan wants to be God, but the job was unavailable. And when he did that, verse number four, he took uh, a third of the angels with him, verse 4, and his tail drew one third of the part of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for her devour her child as soon as it was born. So Satan, when he rebelled against God, this war up in heaven, Satan brought one third of the angels down with him. Those angels are now, in order to distinguish them, are often called demons or devils. But they were angels that fell in this war, fell in this rebellion, and God kicked them out. Now they're here on this earth, and Satan is trying to overthrow God by his headquarters here on this earth, which is a problem. Now, there's some things that we also understand about Satan here, is that Satan is not God. One thing about God is that he is omnipowerful. He is omnipowerful. That means he has all power. Satan is not omnipower. He cannot create. He can only imitate. He is limited in his power. Another thing about Satan <laughs> is that he is not omniscient. God is omniscient. The idea of omniscient means all knowing. God knows everything. 
Satan does not know everything. For example, Satan does not know when Jesus is coming back. He doesn't know. He's trying to prepare for when it comes, but he does not know when. There are things that Satan does not know. He is limited in his knowledge. Now, we're not trying to say that he's not smart. He's lived for 6,000 years on this earth. He gained a little bit of knowledge after 6,000 years. He knows something, but he's not all-knowing. God is also omnipresent. The first idea of omnipresent is that God is everywhere at once. Do you know that Satan cannot be everywhere at once? He's inside of a body and he can only be at one place at one time. Now he has great influence, but he can only be one place at one time. He cannot be everywhere at once. Now that helps us, but doesn't that kind of show that we throw a lot of credit to Satan that he doesn't believe? Because if you think that Satan's after you all the time, well, then that's impractical because Satan can't be everywhere at once. He has to pick his targets carefully. And may I say that nobody in here makes that cut to get his attention. He is limited and where he could be. He can only be at one place at once. In addition, the other idea of omnipresent is that God is every, he's all present. He, God doesn't have a past. He doesn't have a future. He is present tense all the time. That means the same times he's watching us, he's, God is also watching uh, the Garden of Eden. The same times he's watching us right now in this service, he's also watching the Millennial Kingdom. God sees everything at once. Satan cannot see everything at once. Satan is in the same timeline as we are. He had a definite beginning created on day four, and he is traveling day by day in this time, just like you and I are. He can't travel back in time. He can't reverse time. He is stuck in the same time frame. He is limited. God is not limited. This, this is not an equal power struggle. God is better than God, Satan in every way and more powerful, more knowledgeable. Satan is limited. However, Satan is powerful and he has now set up a base here on earth with the idea that he doesn't know when Christ is coming, but he is trying to prepare to overthrow. Even when Christ first coming, Satan had plans to try to destroy the Christ child and it didn't work. Sometimes people have a misnomer that Satan want, uh, wanted or got a great victory when Christ went to the cross. Satan did everything he could to keep uh, Jesus from the cross. J Satan did not want Jesus to go to the cross. He was trying everything he could to keep Jesus from the cross. Because he knew at the cross, Satan was going to suffer a great defeat. And he did. Because Jesus got victory over death, hell, and the grave during that time. So notice as it goes on. Verse 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God. And they that flee, feed her are there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. For those of you keeping count, this is going to be three and a half years. We had talked about this during the tribulation period. That when Satan comes down from heaven, he is going to inhabit the body of the Antichrist. And he is going to declare himself to be God. The Hebrew people realized that this Antichrist was not their Messiah. And they're going to flee from Satan for the last three and a half years. And Satan's going to do everything he can to try to track them down, to try to destroy them. But God is going to protect the Hebrew people. Now, during this time, Satan is going to attack one last time to try to take over heaven. Verse six, or 7. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent 
called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. And he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. What we see is that Satan is going to be cast down. And because he couldn't take over heaven, now he's going to do everything he can to on the last little bits of the tribulation to win the victory. Notice with me verse 12. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell therein. Woe into the inhabitants of the earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath. Why? Because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. During this time when Satan gets kicked out, Satan goes, "Uh uh-oh, if the Bible's right, I only have three and a half years. And I got three and a half years to cause as much trouble as I possibly can. Do you think this will be an awful time for those that live on the earth? Absolutely, because he's going to take out his wrath upon those that live here on this earth. Notice with me verse uh, 13 and 14. And when the dragon saw that he was cast in the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth a man child. Remember this woman is the Hebrew people. And that Satan is going to do everything he can to try to destroy and persecute the Hebrew people in the last three years. His goal is to wipe every single Jewish person off the face of the earth. And he's going to do everything he can to do that. Verse 4. And the woman was given two great wings of eagles that she might fly into the wilderness. Now this is a poetical term saying that the lady is going to flee into the wilderness and God is going to protect her. And she's going to stay one step ahead of him into her place where she's nourished. Notice this. For a time and times and half a time. Now this is another poetical way of telling time. The one singular time is one year. Two times, a times plural, is going to be two years, and half a time is half a year. So one year plus two years plus half a year is three and a half years. The same time frame that God has given consistently in the Bible concerning this part of the tribulation, this three and a half years. It's almost like God knows what he's doing. So notice we had verse six, the, it broken down to days. And um, earlier there, we saw that he had just knew that he had just a short time left. And then we could see it was a time, times, and time and a half. Once again, had given this identification of three and a half years. Now, you guys have listened very patiently. Let's try to get to the rest of this. Notice if you don't mind in verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, which is Israel, and went to make war with the remnant of the seed to keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So Satan is going to take out this punishment on the Hebrew people and all of those that help the Hebrew people, which are going to be the people that are born within the tribulation. And Satan is going to have a great persecution to try to kill anyone and everyone associated with the Hebrew people. Now, that's kind of in the future. We see what's going to happen. Let's see Satan's current purpose. What is Satan doing right here today? Notice with me in verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of the brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. Now, this is going to blow your mind if you are not familiar with the things of the Bible. Where is Satan currently at? Heaven. And you know what he's doing in heaven? He's accusing the the brethren. Who are the brethren? Those people who have accepted Christ as their Savior. You know what Satan's trying to do? He's trying to build a court case against God, saying God is not good. And you know what he's using as evidence? Christians. 
God, you claim that's one of your people, but do you see what they're doing right now? Look, God, you see how awful they are? They call themselves, they go to church, but you see how they lie? Oh, they go to church. You see what they're watching? God, they said that they're Christians. You see what they're listening to? Hey, God, you call them they're Christians. You see how they treat people? We're being used as evidence to try to overthrow God. Satan is trying to use us as evidence that God is not good and that he doesn't deserve to be God. Now think about this. When you misbehave, when you do things you're not supposed to, you're giving Satan ammunition to accuse God of not being good and not being right. You see, your actions do matter. You have a Christian who says, yes, I'm a Christian, but doesn't read their Bible, doesn't obey God. You're being used of Satan to accuse that God is not right. You're evidence in Satan's mind that God is not good. You see, our actions do matter and they do count. (laughs) They call themselves Christians. Do you see the way that they're raising their kids? Those kids are going to serve me, not you. (laughs) Ha ha, because you're not good. Everything we do matters. Even right now in the present tense, what we do matters. Satan's current purpose is that right now he is in heaven. He is giving accusation before the brethren. He is accusing us. Notice something else that he is doing. First Peter. So if you're in Revelation, turn the other direction. Jude, third John, second John, first John, second Peter, first Peter. First Peter chapter number five. What else is Satan currently doing? Well, not only is he up in heaven accusing us for the brethren, but he is also attempting to do something in our spiritual lives. 1 Peter chapter 5. And notice with me verse 8. 1 Peter 5 verse 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Here is a poetical picture that Satan is like a lion and the lion is looking for his next meal, his next prey, and he is looking whom he can be devoured. The word devour is an important word. That word devour carries with it the idea to make disappear. For example, if you set a stake in front of me, I would make that thing disappear. It would be devoured. What Satan wants to do is he wants to make things disappear in your life. He's looking to devour. He'll start with your Bible reading. He'll devour your Bible reading so it's non-existent. It's gone. He'll devour your prayer life so that way you're no longer praying. He will devour you from going to church so you'll start disappearing from church. You'll be made to disappear. That's why we watch people over the years that they were faithful, they were true, but they allowed Satan access in their life and they got devoured. They're no longer here. They may have been made to disappear. Where is so-and-so? They used to be faithful to church. They got devoured. They're gone. Satan devoured them. Satan is looking to make these things in your life disappear. Why? Because he can accuse you before God. Oh, they call themselves a Christian, but they don't go to church anymore. See, God, you're not good. Satan's a cheater. We understand that. But he's got a plan. He hates God. He wants to show that God's not good. And we're the evidence. And so he's looking to make things disappear. (laughs) God, they call themselves a Christian, but they're Bible reading. They don't read their Bible at all. It's disappeared. 
you're not good, God. This is part of that spiritual war. By the way, it's not about us. It's about God. We're just being used as evidence. So Satan can accuse God that he is not good. This matters. This is Satan's current plan. We know this. We have to choose a side. Which side are you going to join? Satan's side or God's side? It is a purposeful choice to follow after Jesus. To follow after Satan is just by default. You have to on purpose say, I'm going to read my Bible. On purpose, I'm going to pray. On purpose, I'm going to be faithful to church. On purpose, I'm going to be obedient to the Lord. Otherwise, by default, you're already on the enemy's side. We see something else in the scripture, Satan power. Satan's power. Satan does have power. It is not unlimited, but he does have power. Notice with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Sorry, I'm going to go fast now because I want to try to kit all this in. And then get to the conclusion of how we can win this spiritual war. How do we overcome in this spiritual war? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter four. Let's see about Satan's power. And he does have power. Second Corinthians chapter four. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number three and four. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world, that is Satan, which hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, would shine unto them. You know what Satan is doing right now is he's causing people to be spiritually blind so they won't accept Christ as their savior. That people would rather believe that they're a good person or believe in something else rather than believe in Christ. That is a spiritual blindness that Satan has cast in this world. People are blind. That's why they have a hard time understanding the gospel. They are spiritually blind. That is Satan's doings. Notice what else? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. More of Satan's power. 2 Corinthians 2, 11. Lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of Satan's de- of his devices. Do you know that there's a way that Satan works? And the Bible speaks about this how Satan works. We find that throughout the Bible. That's a whole different study. But you don't need to be ignorant of Satan's devices. One of them he uses is bitterness. We talked about this in Sunday school, that we could give up ground in our life and then he builds a stronghold and then he uses that stronghold to send uh, uh, torments upon us. We don't need to be ignorant of Satan's devices. We need to understand how he works. Notice with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Notice how else he works. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. Notice Satan's power. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. What is this speaking about? This tells about how Satan works. Satan's a deceiver. We know Satan doesn't look like he's red and has pitchfork and horns. 
But that's how it is, how people picture it. If someone who came in here, let's say Satan came in with pitchfork and red horns and stuff like that, we saw him, we'd cast him out, kick him out, right? I mean, you look like Satan, get out of here. But Satan doesn't appear like Satan, like a picture of Satan. He transforms himself into a minister of light. Someone who smiles, someone who's really nice. One of the problems is that Satan's ministers are really, really nice people. And it is very hard to preach against nice people. But you don't understand how nice they were. They don't understand what a great person they were. I'm not going to call out names, but recently there was a great Christian leader who passed away. And people are giving all kinds of accolades. And I understand he tried to do a lot of good. He was a good person, but he had false doctrine. And if I was to say something against this Christian leader who just passed, I would get all kinds of hate mail because they'd all be coming to his defense. But you don't understand how nice he was to me. You don't understand how great he smiled. You don't know how friendly he was. It is very hard to preach against nice people. If they were mean and dirty and filthy, it's easier to talk about those. But that's how Satan works. He transforms himself and has his ministers transform into ministers of light, of nice people, of good people that say helpful messages about how to keep your smile and how to pick yourself up the bootstraps and how to have a good time in your bad days. And they do these nice messages and make people feel better about themselves all by getting their eyes off God and onto something else, namely themselves. That's how Satan works is he uses false preachers to get their people's minds off of God. So that way Satan can go, look, you call them, look at those people that call themselves Christians. They don't like you at all. They don't even think about you. They don't talk about you. They don't read your word. You know, there's lots of Christians who, who call themselves Christians who never read their Bible once. They'll read a devotional book. They'll read fiction books that are religious, but they won't read their Bible. And Satan says, that's what I did. <laughs> See, God, you're not worthy of worship. They won't even read your word. They'll read stuff I gave them. You said, but this isn't nice, preacher. I'm trying to say the truth. This is what the Bible said was going to happen. This is how Satan works. Notice where Satan is going. We see Satan's prison. Notice with me, Revelation 12. There's a lot of information. You guys have been very patient. But this is important that we could line things up properly and understand our enemy. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20, notice with me in verse number 1. Revelation 20 and verse number 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having a key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid a hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him up a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years shall be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Here's Satan's prison. During the millennial kingdom, Satan is going to be locked away. It's one of the reasons it's going to make this kingdom perfect is you're not going to have Satan running around in it. Satan's not going to be deceiving people. But that also means that people can't use it as an excuse. Well, the devil made me do it. They're going to find out that their flesh was bad enough as it is and it got them in trouble. 
we give a lot of credit to Satan. Well, the devil made me do this. No, it was your stinking awful flesh. Well, Satan doesn't want me to read my Bible. That's a true statement, but neither does your flesh. Well, well, Satan is taking away my prayer time. No, that's your flesh. We blame Satan for a lot of things when it's you as a low down, awful, rotten sinner that needs to be fixed. It's easier to blame someone else than I'm not the problem. But in the millennial kingdom with Satan locked away, can't blame him anymore. You have to realize I'm the problem. I'm the issue. I need to be fixed. I need to obey God. Satan's going to be locked away. And during that millennial kingdom time, we're going to watch that man still fails and he can't blame it on Satan. Now let's get to the victory part. Turn back to me, Revelation 11. How do we overcome in this spiritual war? Without a doubt, we are in a spiritual war. Without a doubt, there are two sides. There's God's side and Satan's side. Now they're not equal and they're not in balance. God is more powerful. Period. End of sentence. But Satan does have a lot of power and he still wants to overthrow God. We know that Satan hates God and he hates us because of who God is. And he wants us to suffer spiritual defeat so he could go up to God and say, God, see, your Christians are not as good as they're supposed to be. You are not worthy and you're not great. So how do we get victory? How do we overcome in this spiritual war? What can we do right here and right now? Revelation chapter 12, and notice with me in verse number 11. And they, first of all, they overcame him. They got victory over him, Satan. First of all, how? By the blood of the lamb. By the blood of the lamb. What does that mean? We can't depend upon ourselves. We have to trust God. It has to be God and God alone. I, you know, some people have developed such an ego that they think they could face down Satan on their own. You cannot. He is much more powerful, smarter, older, wiser than you. Do you know that Satan knows more scripture than you? Do you know that he knows Christ personally? He talks with Christ. He knows who he is. But he's not saved, doesn't believe, and doesn't want to follow him. Satan wants us to live in defeat. The only way that we could stand up against Satan is by depending upon God and the blood of the Lamb. To trust in Christ that Christ will provide. He'll give the strength. It is Jesus that gets the victory. Notice another way that they overcome in this spiritual battle. Verse 11. And they that overcome him by, first of all, the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony. By the word of their testimony. Now this includes having a testimony is to be putting on the whole armor of God. It talks about that in Ephesians chapter 6, the whole armor of God. If we're going to be able to withstand the wiles of the devil, the attacks of the devil, that we have to put on the spiritual armor. By the way, you don't put on your armor by accident. You don't go to bed and then wake up the next morning and go, look, I've got this suit of armor on. How did this happen? You have to put it on on purpose every day. Put on each piece of the armor of God that you may withstand against the wiles of the devil. That we do it by the word of the testimony. Understand that our testimony could be used of God to, to tell people that our God is real and God is true. Rather than have a testimony that Satan can say, look, they call themselves a Christian and look, they don't live for you. We're going to have to overcome by the word of our testimony. Purposely put on the armor of God so we may withstand Satan against in that evil day. To withstand against the wiles of the devil. To have a testimony that is pleasing to God. That people say their God is real and I could tell by the way they live their life.
Notice there's a third thing in the book of Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1. How to have victory in our life now by the blood of the lamb. By the word of their testimony. Notice this. And they love not their lives unto death. They love not their lives unto death. What does this mean? That we have to choose a side. There's a spiritual war going on and you need to go all in. There's things that are bigger than us and there are very real casualties. You must choose a side. As Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It is a choice that you have to make that you're either purposely on God's side or you're on the wrong side. You have to choose a side and be all in, not partially in, not, well, you know, I kind of tinker about it. No, go all in. Surrender and say, Lord, I'm giving you my life. Whatever you want to do with it, you see fit. Help me to be obedient to you. I'm on your side. This is how you get victory in your life. Not riding the fence. Choose a side. If you say, I'm going to choose a side, but you don't show up to church, you didn't choose the right side. You say, I'm going to choose a side, but you refuse to read the Bible. You didn't choose the right side. You have to purposely choose. I'm going to obey what God has given me to do. I'm on his side. This is how to get victory is you choose a side and get all in. There is a spiritual war that is going on and it is a real war. And the things that you do in your life does matter. It matters now and it will matter for eternity. There is a real enemy of Satan who hates God and by default because he hates God wants to mess up your life. So that way he can use your messed up life to accuse God that God is not good and that God is not worthy of worship. And that God should step down and someone else should take his place. We don't want to be used as that bad evidence. We want to be used as as a testimony that this is someone who truly follows after God and believes in him. So how are you doing in your spiritual life? If you don't know Jesus Christ, your savior, you need to get that nailed down. You need to join the right side. In this spiritual war, if you're not reading your Bible, you're not praying, you're not faithful to church, you just need to choose a side this morning and say, Lord, I'm on your side. Help me to follow after you. Maybe there's some spiritual warfare going on in your life that you know that you need to trust God to get victory over. Lord, help me with this. You're bigger than this thing. Help me to see you big than anything I could face. Have a clear vision of God. God can win victories in your life, but you have to trust him and you have to depend upon him. And we're praying that we'd have great victories today. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.